is absolutely necessary for your spiritual health as much as, as your physical health depends on you eating throughout the day. Um, but the other thing that I want to encourage you in, two things actually, um, is supplementing your diet. And what I mean is taking advantage of the fruit of the Holy Spirit throughout the church age, throughout the history of the church. Um, God has equipped uh, men and women over the last 2,000 years to speak, write, teach on the Word of God. And there are so many good things. It, it, there are so many good resources when it comes to uh, accessing the truth expressed and taught, uh, whether it be in written form or verbal form. And so one thing I want to encourage you is, is some extra reading. I know uh, reading isn't always fun, um, but... It is really good for us, especially when we're reading of the truths of the Scripture. So one thing I've done and I plan to do is uh, within my, my pastoral budget is to, is to purchase material for you all to always have access to. And that's what I've done on the back table in the uh, foyer. Uh, there is a... There's a church in Pensacola, Florida um, called Mount Zion Baptist Church. And they have a ministry where they basically give out for free uh, literature from, from the last two to three hundred years of sound biblical teaching. And they do it in multiple forms. There's multiple ways they do it, whether it's little pamphlets. Um, so this is a sermon. From Jonathan Edwards. So Jonathan Edwards was uh, vital in the Great Awakening in America um, back in the 1700s. Uh, his preaching is what lit America on fire for the Great Awakening. And so his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, we've got a few copies back there. Um, Robert Murray McShane would be in the 1800s. Robert Murray McShane is known as, and this isn't something that he claimed to be, but something that his, uh, um, the people of his time said that he is one of the most holiest men to ever live. Uh, McShane, he, he desired to spend time in the presence of God every day before he saw the face of a human being. McShane says, for every look, every, every once, one time that you look at yourself, turn and look ten times at Christ. Uh, and so McShane, he died at the age of 29 and did more uh, for the sake of, of um, the people in his time than most can do in a lifetime. And so there's something, and I think I have another thing that I've not set out yet, but I'll set them out periodically and not just everything at once. Uh, but this is on the love of Christ. I think it's uh, it's a sermon, and so that's back there. But the other thing that um, 
The other thing that Chapel Library of Mount Zion Baptist Church does is they have uh, a quarterly magazine. And um, I get one myself sent to my, uh, my mailbox, but I've, I've, I've been purchasing a few uh, through them. And so what the quarterly does is it has a topic. I think it's quarterly. There's a topic, and then with, within that topic, there are six to eight uh, articles or sermons um, ranging anywhere from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones from the um, 20th century uh, to, uh, let's see, J.C. Ryle, the 18th or the 19th century. And so these are all trusted uh, scholars, theologians, pastors, and each each article or sermon is on the topic. So the two that I've got out right now are biblical parenthood and abortion. And so there's a few copies back there, and I'll put these back there. So please, take these. When you see them back there, peruse through them, take them, uh, read them, share them, bring them back, whatever you want to do. Uh, but if you want to keep it and so you can always go back to it, that's fine. That's wonderful. Uh, but also, uh, I'm going to try to keep some some tracks back there too. Things that you can keep in your car or on your on yourself that you could hand out um, to anyone, but also that you could benefit from it. So this is holiness and hum, uh, humility, and so this is uh, you know a, a track that would be very. I mean, it's. It's this long, but it's chocked full of, of rich teaching of the Word of God. But then this one is, Are You Born Again from J.C. Ryle? That would be uh, a very, very good uh, track to hand to someone and say, if you've got any questions, let's talk through it. And so I'll try to keep some of those, and I'll have them rotating as much as possible. And the other thing, so that, that the, the good thing about people who are dead is that they've stood the test of time right we're not we're not jumping on some new bandwagon some guy who's you know they've stood the test of time they've come through the filter of the church uh and they have been uh benef- we have benefit the church has benefited from people like this uh since or for centuries but the other thing I want to recommend, and something that's been very helpful for me, and that is listening to the Word of God in sermon form. I always, when I'm struggling and I feel like my spiritual tank is real empty and I'm struggling to even open up the Bible, I force myself to listen to a trusted pastor and sermon um, and it's receiving the word, uh, not just in me verbally or me visually reading it, but someone preaching to me. And so I want to recommend that too. But I want to caution you as well that there are, the internet is full of, um, it's full of options. And there are many, many, there are more bad options than there are good sadly enough. And so let, let me recommend some to you. I, I recommended one to you this morning, Alistair Beck. He's on the radio. Um, he's on the Christian radio. Uh, I can't, 
Ott, Bot Radio, that one's closer to Salem. And then he's, I don't know if he's on the other one that's closer to Mountain Home. But I know he's on Bot Radio. He's also got an app. He's on, yeah, he's got an app. Now he's on YouTube. Alistair Begg is, a, is someone I highly recommend um, and trusted a Bible teacher and pastor for he's been in the he's been in the pastorate for almost 40 years. And so I have tons of tons of access to different trusted teachers on my phone and I would be happy to share those with you at any point and any time. That's the good thing about technology these days is it makes it makes it easy for us to um share the word of God with others. It's very easy. And it's a way that we can push back against the evils that come with technology, which there are very, very many. Uh, So I just want to take some time and recommend that stuff to you that will always be on the back as long as I can keep it up and um, I'll I'll, uh, rotate it as, as I can. But also if you are looking for any recommendations on Um, other teachers to listen to throughout the week. I'd be happy to help you out there. Um, There's also some CDs back there from a ministry that I've benefited much from, Ligonier. And so if you have a CD player and you want, it's got a sermon. Each CD has one sermon on it. And you'd be, um, you'd be, I'd be happy if y'all took those and kept them uh, for sure. All right. With all that said, let's get back into Hebrews And talk about some angels. Everybody at Hebrews 1? Hebrews 1. All right, let me say um, a prayer. Our Father and God, may you open up the word to us this evening. Help us to see uh, the supremacy of your Son. Give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear, that we might pay much closer attention to what we have heard from him. Uh, may you empower us to do that by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, we spent our time looking at the Christ. But again, I referred to Christ or Jesus as much as I could this morning as the Son, because that is how he is referred to in the first chapter and most of the second chapter of Hebrews. Um, We looked at the Son as God's messenger. And I said that even the author of Hebrews calls Jesus... An apostle, um, one sent from God as as a messenger, uh, and we spent a lot of the time in com- in comparison the son as a messenger to to the prophets. Uh, it wasn't directly when we discussed it, but you know, but the that was sort of our main focus was comparing comparing Jesus or the Son, as a messenger to the prophets. And ultimately, I wanted us to understand, and the author of Hebrews wants us to understand, that Jesus, the Son, the Christ, is better than the prophets. He's a better messenger than the prophets. 
um, ultimately because of who he is uh, and the fact that he is bringing the message of great salvation clearly and he is bringing it himself. Uh, And that's the major theme of Hebrews. And we're going to see it over and over again, the superiority of Christ. You'll hear me say it tons of times. Christ is better. Christ is better. He's better than this or he's um, the better this. But the real meat of Hebrews is talking about another messenger, not just the prophets, but angels. Um, and it's it takes up a good portion of chapter 1, and also we'll see some more of it into chapter 2. We'll touch on a little bit of it in chapter 2 tonight. Uh, the Greek word, well, I won't go there yet. But let's go ahead and read, reread verses 1 through 4, because I specifically did not go to 4 this morning. And so we'll, we'll, we'll hit 4, and then we'll talk a little bit about angels. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, pay much attention, okay? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. And making purification, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so here's, here's where we get into the meat of the angels. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, the reason why I came at Hebrews 1 and the beginning of 2 kind of around angels and not directly at it this morning is because we don't really have a problem with the angels the way the audience of this letter did. So, the Hebrew history... Um, the Israel Israelites had a perspective of angels that were really high. They had a high view of angels. Okay? And we don't... You don't see people with a biblical perspective nowadays wrestling with who's better, Jesus or the angels. And that's really the struggle. That's happening here. The reason why the author or the preacher addresses it. Like you you see laws made and you're thinking, why does that law exist? Well, it probably exists because somebody did something and you're like and and it was silly, and so they had to make a law to keep people from doing that again. Well, so it, it makes you think that this was definitely an issue among whomever this audience was that they potentially 
We're stumbling over Jesus because they were so focused on angels. Pay much closer attention. (laughs) I think it was a few rounds back in the field. So, like I said, I, I've never, I've never had to weigh is 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 the Son of God better than the angels, and I don't know anyone that has, and I would assume that y'all probably don't either, and it's because of our disconnect, really, our disconnect of of Hebrew history, and the fact that Hebrew history was very, um, it was passed down, you know. The parents passed down to their kids uh, the history of their people, and angels were heavily involved. If you read the Old Testament and even into the New, you see the angels participating in uh, God's work and in the nation of Israel. Um, here, here are a few things about angels from the perspective of an Israelite who has received... Uh, Hebrew history passed down from uh, their elders. Number one, they're uh, immortal. Right? They, not that they've always existed, but that God keeps them alive. They, they don't perish in the sense of our first death. Right? Uh, but an angel can perish in a second death, this is a side point, an angel can perish in the second death as the fallen angels with Satan. You follow? And here's the thing, here's the, I'm getting into next week. There's a, this is the really cool thing about you compared to angels. The angels don't know grace. A fallen angel is a fallen angel. You're a fallen human, and you have an opportunity for the great salvation, that which we're speaking of. Angels do not. They long to see that which we know in Christ. They want to experience the grace of God. And so that, that's just one thing. So they, they're... Um, Immortal, and not because they, like God, have power, but their existence is because of God. We'll come to that more in a minute. Number two, they're messengers of God. They are messengers of God. And you, we could go throughout all of Scripture and see this, specifically in the Christmas account, right? We see angel after angel after angel experience. Um, even to uh, to communicate uh, what's coming or where to go, those sort of things. Um, now let's look at a couple passages to think about the third thing. Angels are ministers of God. Look at First Kings chapter nineteen. First Kings chapter nineteen.
So, when we see the word minister or ministering in the New Testament, that word means service or serving. Okay? Uh, 19 verses 5 through 8. Let's start at 4. So we're, uh, this is a story about Elijah. Okay, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, Elijah, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lied down again. And the angel of the Lord came came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God." And so there we see an angel ministering, serving Elijah. Now, do you think he did that, that angel did that? Because it's like, I'm an angel, I do things like this, and so I'm going to go bake a cake for Elijah. Right. He's on on task for God. Uh, They are sent by God to do... Uh, to speak his message and to do his work, and of course, you know, and we won't look at it. Well, y'all, as y'all flip back to Hebrews, I'll give you another example. In Matthew four, Jesus is in the wilderness for what forty days, and he's not ate anything or drank anything, and so at the end of his uh, temptations from Satan. It says that angels came and ministered to him. So there again, maybe maybe they did the, he, they did the same thing for him as they did to Elijah and baked him some bread. You got a you got a question? Yeah. In that context, this is the angel of the Lord we're talking about. Is that Christ? Um, I'm not gonna go there because I don't know. You know, there, there, there's the idea of uh, Christophany, that Christ appeared, that the Son appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And there are some cases where it seems very obvious that that's the case. I haven't, I, I just haven't looked at this enough, nor am comfortable in saying that that is the Son of God in the flesh. Now, it's not Jesus, because Jesus hasn't been born. And this is something that we'll talk about next week. Um, and like when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, that's referred to as God, where he wrestled with Right. Yeah. 
there, there are many times when, when we see the, the phrase angel of the Lord. I haven't studied it enough, Justin, to really give you a sure answer. But the argument, you can easily make the argument that the second person of the Trinity made himself known in, a, in some bodily form. Um, I just wouldn't be confident in saying that that was one of them. Um, but then the last thing, and I'll, I'll spare us the back and forth. Uh, I'll just read it for you. The last thing, and the, probably the most significant thing about angels, um, actually significant, because I, I would imagine, just like we, um, we do, I would imagine that most, you know, Hebrew parents, when their kids are struggling and worn out or their spouse is struggling and worn out and they're talking about, you know, keep going, remember when the angel came to Elijah and fed him, you know. And you could kind of get into this sense where they start to tell stories based on what the history of what angels have done and and angels kind of get elevated just from talking about them and maybe communicating them. Like, I think we might do this. We might give angels credit sometimes and forget that they are acting on behalf of God, right? We, we might do that sometimes. Um, and, well, I don't... I won't keep going there. But the, the, one of the big things that the Bible is very clear on that is very significant for angels is that they were at Mount Sinai when God gave Israel the law. Um, in a great amount. Uh, and you can read it in Deuteronomy uh, about how the holy ones were with God on Mount Sinai as he communicated to Moses the law. And if you look, you see in Acts and Galatians that Stephen, in his, his, his big final sermon uh, before he's stoned, he, uh, let me read it, Acts 7. I know it's there. He gives an account of what that, a very short account of that. So when, when, when Stephen is reprimanding the uh, Jews after the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection and they've been persecuting the church, uh, he, in verse 51 of Acts 7, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart and ears. He's really letting them have it. He's letting them have it. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And then Paul makes a similar statement in Galatians. Uh, you, you can go home and, and check that out. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes a similar uh, 
statement about the angels being the deliverers of the law of God to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Um, as I said, it's, I'm, it's just speculation that this was an issue. It had to have been, you would think, that people were stumbling over Christ because they were highly, they were thinking more highly of, of angels. And in chapter 2, you kind of understand why, and again, we'll, we'll touch on this next week, is because knowing who angels are and their makeup, their immortality per se, they're in the presence of God, you're telling us to follow a man. You're telling us to follow someone who died? I'm a little weary of who you're telling me to follow, this Jesus of Nazareth. I would think angels have a little bit more power than a man from Nazareth. You see how they might kind of be like, I don't know about this. And we get we touch on that a little bit more in chapter 2 uh, next week. And so that's probably where... Uh, this argument's coming from. But the Holy Spirit, through this writer, says in verse 4 that the Son, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. The Son is superior to angels and His name is more excellent than theirs. So, what is this name? Huh? Let's look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? You are my son. Now, that, here's, here's the thing. There are multiple times, especially in the New Testament, where... We speak of the power of the name of Jesus. Acts 4, uh, this Jesus, there, there is no salvation under heaven and earth. No one's saved by no other name. Um, Philippians 2 says that uh, God has highly exalted him and has given him a name above all names. So we can think about it and say, okay, Jesus wasn't necessarily, um, Jesus was a common name, right? There were, there, were, there were other Jesuses of Jesus' time. Just like, I'm sure you've met a Dan or a Justin, right? That, that was a common name. Um, but, and we always get so, Christ is not his name, which it's not. He's Jesus of Nazareth, but it is his name. There is no other Christ. And Philippians 2 suggests that the name that is above every name is Jesus Christ the Lord, right? Right? No one else is the Lord. 
And in our passage here, no one else is the Son, capital S. So I don't really have a problem with saying there is no name above other names, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's just bunch them all together because that's who He is and no one else has that name. Whether it's Jesus Christ, the Son, or Jesus Christ, the Lord. It is, it is a title that He has been given and that title is what we call Him. The Christ. The Son. Right? And so there is no one else with these names. And there is no other salvation in any other name. And all other names are um, under Him. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. Right? But here's the, here's the thing. With angels, um, do you know what they're called in Job? Sons of God. So, okay, you've got... You've, you've met some Justins, right? Okay. So if you hadn't, you'd feel pretty special. Like, I'm the only Justin. But when you meet others, and there's more of you, you're like, uh, it's not that big a deal. Well, the angels are the sons, plural, of God. But we see in Hebrews 1 that there is the Son, capital S. No one else is singled out except for the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The angels are just sons of God. The Son of God, sons of God, right? So that's significant. And that's probably something your Hebrew audience would know and understand. Um, and then in verse 5, he says, Or again, in case you know this isn't enough, I will be to him a father, and he shall be, be to me a son. Now, I, I mentioned this morning that Hebrews, if anyone ever wants to come to you and say, I don't really like the Old Testament, and just kind of let's get rid of it, the way it talks about God, I don't, you know, it's meh. We could do without it. Well, you can take them to Hebrews and say, well, the Holy Spirit thought the Old Testament was pretty significant because the majority of Hebrews, its arguments, its teachings, is based on either quotes of the Old Testament or direct themes and ideas from the Old Testament. And it's simply saying... It's showing the, line, the, the, the redemptive plan of, Christ, of God in Christ starts in the Old Testament. As I said this morning, in the Old Testament, Christ is predicted. And in the New Testament, Christ is revealed. Okay? So we see, if you're looking at your Bible, and some, look, some translations do it differently... Uh, like the NASB, if you've got an NASB, all Old Testament quotations are capitalized so that you can see them very easily. Uh, in the ESV, I've got them indented usually. 
And then there's a reference that says, oh, this is that verse in the Old Testament, or this is that in Psalms. And so the writer of this, the preacher of this, whatever it was, is using the Old Testament to prove his point that he made in verses 2, 3, and 4. If you go and look at 2, 3, and 4, do your homework, and then you go and you look at these, ver- these, these Old Testament passages, he's just pretty much putting... Um, He's just putting emphasis and shoring them up, saying, I'm not just making this stuff up. God talks about the Son in the Old Testament this way as well. So look, look what he says. Um, let's skip a couple and we'll come back here in just a minute. Verse 8. But of the Son, he says, who's he? God. Because remember we started, did God ever say this about the angels? But, the, but of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, let's stop here. You ever had any conversations with any Mormons? And what do they want to say about Jesus? He's the actual birth son. He's not God, right? Well, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, says in verse 8, I mean, he's basically indirectly said it in verse 2, 3, and verse 2 and 3. But here, of the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Father speaking to the Son and calling him God. This again is. Um, if you're having a conversation with someone of the Mormon tradition, um, I'm sure they've got a way to kind of think through this, but uh, this is a good place to show them not just that God says that the Son is God, but also to show the attributes of the Son and the only attributes that God could have. Okay? All right. Um, Let's keep reading through that in 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, un, un, uh, of uprightness, sorry, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, here's something else. I want you to keep in your back pocket. Uh, okay. So have you kept up with the whole Disney thing? It's, it's ugly. Um, Disney is fully out and open about their uh, transgender and homosexual... homosexual um, So what's the word I'm looking for? Not purposes. Agenda. Thank you. They're f- it's fully out there. And they're not backing off. Um, and I heard someone on the news the other day who, who says they are Christian that if Jesus was here today 
that he would be okay with all that. As if, as if, you know, to, to go and point to Jesus in the New Testament, the, the, the thing, oh, he eats with sinners. He, he, um, he uh, converses and uh, fellowships with uh, tax collectors, prostitutes, this and that. And they, they want to point out this aspect of Jesus as he walked on the earth. And as he did uh, fellowship with sinners, and he had—I mean, he was going. He had to because he didn't come to save the the innocent. He came to save sinners. So, where else is he going to go? But they 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 leave out this things like this. This is. God, the Father, speaking of the Son in verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You can't, you cannot have a Jesus that says he accepts all, he, he accepts all because he ate with sinners and tax collectors. No, no, no. He loved them and then when he was done with them, you know what he said? Go and sin no more. And if they did not obey that, he hated their wickedness. Now, and we, this is way off angel topic, but if you, we have to be careful. Again, we're not defending Jesus we're standing for truth, right? Jesus doesn't need us to put our chest out and stand up and defend himself. Um, we, we hold firm to the truth in that proclamation. We have to be careful when we're having conversations about sinners and sin to say, to say comments. And this is a, it's a fairly easy comment to say, and we've all said it. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And in some degree, that's true. Uh, God has expressed his love towards all of his creation. If he's allowing them to live, he is showing them love to some degree. But we have to understand God the way the Bible describes it. And there are Psalms that are very, very clear that God hates the evildoer. And that included you and I. Right? You cannot, you cannot, if he only hated the sin and did not have disdain for those who committed the sin, then why punish them? Right? Why, why have judgment on the sinner if he did not have disdain or hatred for the sinner? Now that's, Psalm 4 or 5 is probably the best place to find that and see that. But you, you, you just, the Lord opened your eyes to see these things throughout Scripture. And if, if you took that message to an unbeliever and, and they're like, oh, you're just condemning me, God, this, that, that. And you're like, oh, no, God loves you, but he hates your sin. Well, then what reason do they have to repent? 
Right? What, if God loves them the way they are, then what reason do they have for repentance? God hates wickedness. God judges sinners. And that might sound bad to us, but that's because we're sinners too. And it is impossible for us to comprehend justice, perfect justice, and perfect love in one being. And that's what God is. He's perfectly just, and He's perfect love, holy love, holy justice. We can't comprehend that, but that's the way the Bible presents it. So the Son... And this is one thing I wanted us to do and consider is look at the Old Testament to see how God is actually spoken of in, in the Scriptures. So that we're not creating a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. I think it's in Hebrews. I think it's toward the end of Hebrews. What does it say? Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is God. He did not change when he, the New Testament opened. He did not change. Okay, we've spent too much time on that. Um, let, me, let me wrap this up here real quick. If you, read, if you read the rest of these quotations, you see more of an expression of who, God, or who the Father says the Son is, um, Creator, which again is just throwing it back up to what he'd already said in the first few verses. But then one thing that he expressed in seven, uh, in sort of a implied way, while God is, while the Son is Creator, and His throne is forever, He's He's showing us that angels are that, but a creature. All right, the Son created the angels, and He has rule power, and authority over the angels. But then you get down to verse um, 13, and it says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Now, I hate to jump back on this train, but turn to Psalm 110, which is quoted here. Psalm 110. And verse, well, you'll, you'll see. So, do you believe that the Holy Spirit wrote the New Testament? Do you believe that? Do you believe that includes Hebrews? Yes? Yes. yes. Okay, so God writes and the description of the Son in Hebrews by quoting... Psalm 110, this is the description of God, the Son. Verse 1, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You know what that means? It means he's going to 
it, it's it's almost like a insult to God's enemies. Not only is he going to conquer them, but he's going to sit down when he's done and he's going to put his feet up on them. You know what I mean? The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people. God has enemies. You, the Bible is very clear about this. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of power and holy garments from the wound or womb of the morning. The dew of your, of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So put that in your back pocket. We'll come to that in Hebrews 7. Verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. Look at this. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. That's not a blue-haired, or a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, kumbaya Jesus. That is ruler, author, king of kings, perfectly just, Jesus, the Son. He will execute, in verse 6, He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore He will lift up His head. We have, to we have to understand Jesus. We have to understand God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit fully as the Bible presents. And here, here's what I'm not telling you to do. I'm not telling you to take this information about the Son, go out in the world, and say, He's going to shatter you. He's going to knock your teeth in. He's going to do that to you. Because you're going to have that tendency Especially if you're driven by the zeal of the Lord. Right? But that's not what you ought to do. Now, it's okay to give a warning and say, this Jesus whom you think is okay with the type of culture that we live in. No, the Bible says he hates wickedness. The Bible says that he will shatter those who are against him. And so I'll tell you, yeah, Satan is his enemy, but those who are in rebellion against him are his enemy as well. Remember Romans 5? Uh, I don't. I can't remember what it says. <laughs> I just know it's Romans 5. Um, I was hoping y'all tell me. Uh, God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So let me tell you this. In your dealing in life and living, don't ever 
go up to someone and say, you're hopeless. I shouldn't, let me back that up. They are hopeless. We're all hopeless. Don't, you, but you say to them, there is hope. There is hope. Because I was an enemy of God. I was a rebel of God. I was a child of wrath. But Christ is what? He's on the shore warning of the danger ahead and he's calling for you to come to him, right? We, the more we know about who God truly is, the more we want people to come to him. We don't want people to come to Jesus because he loves everybody and we all want to get along. We, we tell people about the gospel because they are doomed apart from it. And that only makes sense if God is who the Bible says he is. So, with all that, we get to 14. And they, are they, angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They are on our side. They're not worthy of worship. They're our helpers in taking the gospel to the nations for people to believe and repent. And if you look at chapter 2, we didn't look at this in verse 2, he, he even reminds them, you're right, the angels did bring the law. And you know what the law said? If you disobey, you die. But Jesus is a better messenger of God than the angels. And if you think you can disobey the angels and die, look out for what happens if you disobey and don't pay attention to Jesus, the Christ, the Son, who is better than the angels. And that's when he says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You can't. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it there. And let me just add, I want to I add one thing, kind of an implication from this. The idea this morning and tonight is that the words of Christ are invaluable. And we must pay attention to them. And my hope, my prayer, is that when I'm standing up here, or when Brother Dan's up here teaching, that we are proclaiming Christ. And I don't mean just like we're saying Christ, but it's as if you are listening to the Son. That should be your mindset when you come into this building or when you turn on a sermon on your phone or your radio. That the messenger is only relaying what the messenger, the son, has already said. And when that happens, you, I pray that when I speak, that you are hearing Christ. And therefore, what? You've got to pay attention. You've got to pay much closer attention. Because if you don't, you will drift. You will drift. And Sylvia reminded me, 
this, this morning afterwards, that the drift is slow and you don't see it until it's too late. And the drift, it's, it, you're just not going to know it. All right. And the last thing is, no, I won't, I will stop. His words are here. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. Read it to your kids. Turn off the TV. Disney just wants them to go to hell anyway. I'm sorry, but it's true. Give your family the word of God. Lord, would you care for us? Keep us. God, would you motivate us to live as we sang this morning for your glory? And may we feast upon your words. May we listen to the Son. And may the power of his word uphold us as it does the stars. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um.